We create the future. That's actually one of our values here at TLC, which, if I'm being honest, feels like probably the most arrogant value a church can have, right? Yeah, we create the future, dude. All right, all right. So let me explain why we create the future is actually one of our values. Uh, We say we want to develop culture-creating leaders to send to culture-creating cities to help plant culture-creating churches to create better futures. Now, that makes it sound slightly less arrogant, but there's still a pretty strong sense of arrogance when you say we create the future. So let me explain where the concept actually comes from. So all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, we're talking the start of the Bible, right? The first chapter, first book, verse 28, God gives to humanity that is created in his image a commission, a mission, something they're supposed to do, and it's simply this. They're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it, okay? The subdue and rule thing is kind of the same idea. So fill the earth, subdue and rule it. Now, uh, subdue and rule to our 21st century modern ears feels almost abusive. All right? However, to the ancient hearers, when those words were first written, it didn't sound abusive at all. In fact, it sounded beautiful because when we begin to understand what that idea of subduing and ruling means, it means that we're supposed to be, as created in God's image, we're supposed to be the ones who represent God, his love, kindness, and desire for his world to flourish. We represent that God to the rest of creation. So the word rule or subdue, radah, that's used there in Genesis 1.28 actually means this, that basically God created our world, filled it with amazing raw materials, it's dripping with potential and possibility, and then God commissions humanity as his representatives to partner with him to bring the world somewhere, all right? Uh, Theologians actually call Genesis 1.28 the cultural mandate. God gave the mandate to humanity to actually partner with him to take all the raw, awesome materials that he implanted in this beautiful, amazing earth and use them to create culture, to create society, to partner with him in making a world where humanity and the rest of creation can flourish. That's what we mean when we say we create the future. This is actually something God's asked us to do. It's not something that we think uh, we've just made up on our own. Like, well, we just want to be cool. We want to be about the future. No, we actually think that this is straight out of the biblical text. It's why it's one of our values. Now, Genesis 1.28 and the cultural mandate, I think had mad implications for the Apostle Paul when he's writing the book of Romans. As you guys know, we've been studying the book of Romans. Uh, we kicked it off in the fall and really kind of did part one, the first 11 chapters, and then we kind of picked it back up again, and today is our last day in Romans. 
I have love, man, I'm telling you, like I have love, I feel so privileged that I've been able to study it and, and engage with it. It's shaped and transformed even my heart in some ways that I needed to be reminded of and here, step out into. I hope that you felt the same thing. Uh, we're going to be today in Romans chapter 15. So while you're turning to Romans 15, uh, I want to tell you where we're going, all right? So what I'd like to do this morning uh, is we're going to engage a little bit in Romans 15 as a way to dive into our church's vision. Now in Romans 15, Paul lays out the mission that God had specifically called him to, as well as uh, a future that he envisioned of what God was asking him to do. We'll talk real briefly about our mission. We spent a few weeks talking about that this fall. And then I want to share with you what we believe is our church's vision. Now, um, God knew what we were going to be covering, okay? Uh, we actually knew months ago when we kind of mapped out all the Romans and kind of figured out the best place to put it uh, that we wanted to talk about this concept of vision. Uh, but it was about three months ago without the leadership team knowing that this was coming that they came to me and said, hey, T, uh, we need... We need a document that like kind of explains our vision. We hear you talk about it a little bit, but there's nothing that you got really written down. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I should probably do that. And they're like, yeah, you should, like now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. So that's what I've been working on for like the last three months. It's not that we haven't had some things written down, but uh, I had never really taken the time to, to stop and think, what is a clear and compelling, what is the thing that God's calling our church to do? So... I was interacting with our staff on this a little bit. Um, I went away to the Hermitage down in Three Rivers uh, for a, a three-day silent retreat just to be with God and, and talk and say, God, what, what is it? Here's some things, some thoughts that I have, but God, is, are these your thoughts? Are these just mine? And so what I want to share with you today, uh, twofold. One, it's what I have shared with our leadership team and with our staff. We continue to work on it. This is a rough draft. And then the second thing, uh, I talked to Jordan because Jordan's actually did, did some training uh, last week, got certified uh, in, in a, a thing. It's called God Dreams through Oxano, Will Mancini. It, it's all about like how you take vision and, and bring it and move it into strategy. Okay, I'm terrible at strategy. Uh, Jordan's actually really good at it and continues to grow in that area. And so I, went to, I talked to Jordan yesterday because I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to share some things that we have not agreed on yet. <laughs> we, we haven't fully decided on them yet, but I think that it's important for us just to start to have a little bit of holy imagination. So uh, I'm going to share with you some of our vision that we think God's calling us to, and then maybe even some ways that we might begin to implement that. But the implementation stuff, you're not allowed to hold me accountable on, okay? Because <laughs> I don't know if it's going to stay. We're still working through this, but I want to bring you in on the process. So Romans chapter 15, let's start there. The Apostle Paul speaking, closing out the letter to the Roman church. Verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul's like, look, I had to say some hard things, but I believe in you. I believe in the church in Rome. I know you guys love each other and you love Jesus and you're competent. And he's basically saying, look, I've said some hard things, but I believe in you, all right? He goes on, verse, uh, excuse me, 16. 
says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul's laying out the specific mission God had given to him. Keep going, verse 17. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except, Christ, except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I said this in the first service. I have no idea if that's how you say that. I'm making it up as I go, but that's okay. You work with me. In Lyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Again, Paul talking about the specific mission God had given to him. Verse 21, rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So there's a couple of things here that Paul lays out specifically his mission. We find it in verse 16 and verse 20. So what did God specifically call Paul to do. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell them what you think it is. You can even get a little cheat sheet because I just told you what verses you can find that in. Turn to your neighbor. What specifically did God call Paul to do? There's a, few, there's a few things in there you could say, all right? So what specifically, what specific mission did God give to Paul? Who can say one thing? Preach, yeah, preach the gospel to who? Gentiles, right? Very specific, all right? Paul was a Jew. All the other disciples that we're aware of, we think we're Jewish, Okay, so many of them were interacting with other Jews in Jerusalem. Paul had a different mission. God called him to preach to the Gentiles. What else uh, was unique that Paul talks about? We find a little bit more in verse 20. What? Okay. Ba yeah, go where others had. Baptize them. Go where others had never been, right? He wants to go to places where nobody's heard, right? He actually wants to build fresh new foundations where no foundation has been built before. Is there a problem building on somebody else's foundation? No, of course not. Paul actually talks about that. Paul's got a lot of helpers that actually do that, all right? I worked at a number of churches where I was always building on somebody else's foundation. This is the first church that I've ever had the privilege of planting. This is the first foundation that Jordan and I got to kind of build together along with a number of you. A pretty cool thing, but that was a specific calling and mission that God had given to Paul. Paul had a very specific mission, okay? Now, what is TLC's mission? We actually did a three-week series on this in the fall, all right? Some of you are like, sweet, I wasn't here in the fall, so I can't, like, can't say I forgot. No, all right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you turn to the person next to you, and I'm going to tell you that our mission has three kind of unique characteristics that we're going after that will give you a little bit, of a little bit of a hint, 
and uh, just see what you might come up with, all right? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you. See if you can remember what that mission is. And if you're like, yeah, I wasn't even here, that's all right. You're, you're good. You get it. You're off the hook. All right, there's three pieces to it, okay? Three pieces. Can anybody name one piece? TLC exists or TLC is going after. TLC is a what, what, what? I heard one. Multiplying, very good. TLC is a multiplying church, right? So we want to multiply leaders. We want to multiply churches. We're a multiplying church, good. That is helping who? Boom! You guys are, oh man, y'all crushing it today. I'm so impressed, so impressed. Yes, multiplying church, helping the next generation do what? Woo! Come on now. Fall in love with Jesus, that's right. You want to know what TLC's specific mission is? That's it. Yes. Brian got the, we're getting there, Brian. Slow down, my man. We are a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus. And if we do those three things that God has asked us to do, we will create better futures. We're talking generations down the line. Not just now, but for decades to come. Those are the three things that we believe God's call is. Now, that doesn't mean that they are unique to us, okay? There could be other churches in Grand Rapids that have, maybe they don't say it with the exact same words, but that's there. They, they are a multiplying church. They uh, feel like God's called them to go after the next generation, and they want to help people fall in love with Jesus, okay? There are other churches that have different missions that God has given them, all right? God gets to tell his church, each individual one, what their specific mission is. That's ours, Calvary Church might have one slightly different. Crossroads might have one slightly different. Uh, St. Luke's is going to be a little bit different. All right? Ada Bible is going to be a little bit different. Uh, Cascade Fellowship, a little bit different. We are not competing with each other. We are actually on the same team, and God's given us slightly different roles. Ours is to be a multiplying church, helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus to create better futures. Now, uh, we have a number of values. Uh, your mission statement, your mission, that's like what, what you do, okay? Values is kind of like the kind of people you want to be while you're doing it, all right? Kind of sets the temperature, sets the culture. Paul also has a number of values as well. Now, they're not laid out the same way that we do. We've got our values like posted on the back wall right back there, you know? When you walk in, you see those every week. Hopefully, you take a minute and just read them and be reminded. Paul has a number of values as well. He doesn't lay them out the same way, but you can actually read through and you can find what Paul's values are. I'm going to point a couple out to you. Uh, chapter 16, Paul talks about all the different people that he partners with. So I'm very confident uh, that one of Paul's values is lone wolves die. Wow, he's, that's a great value. That sounds really familiar. Some, uh, another one that Paul has uh, that he writes about all throughout the book of Romans is that he believes that Jews and Gentiles and slave and free and rich and poor and men and women are all supposed to be a part of this mission. One of Paul's values is different is beautiful. Man, blowing your mind right now. Paul's value sounds so much like our values. That's so crazy, right? Yeah, and if you were to continue reading in verse 19, 
He says, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Another one is awe and wonder. Whoa, man, that sounds familiar too. And he also says in verse 20 that we create the future. Oh, wow. And then in verse 18, he says that he leads Gentiles to obey God. We don't play. That's one of Paul's. It's not one of ours, but it's a good one. Paul's like, yo, we don't play. I help people obey Jesus. That's what I do. Maybe that should be one of ours. We don't play. Those are Paul's values, right? We have values too. Talks about the kind of church we want to be as we are accomplishing the mission. Verse 24, though, helps us understand what Paul's vision was, okay? Uh, Vision is usually uh, talked about as a picture of a preferred future. Now, I'm not saying that that's what Paul lays out here, but what Paul does lay out is he makes it very clear that he believes that there is a future that he is supposed to be moving towards. For Paul, he has done everything he can all around, uh, um, it was called Asia Minor at the time, um, but basically the, the Middle East and Greece all the way to Rome, and his desire is to head across to Spain. That's Paul's future. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that in verse 24 when he talks about his desire and his plan to go to Spain next that that's like a fully-fledged like vision script, okay? But what I'm simply saying is in the midst of that, Paul wasn't afraid to look to the future and make plans. He wasn't afraid to say, this is where I think God's calling me, and I'm asking you to help me get there. And friends, that's the same for us. So what I'd like to do for the rest of our time is simply begin to lay out the vision that we sense God is calling us to go after as a church. Coolio, then let's go. 10 years from now, we have launched a small family of churches that are helping the next generation fall in love with Jesus. 10 years from now, we've launched a family of churches that are going after some of the same things that we sense God is calling us to do. Now, these family of churches are helping people to actually orient their lifestyle, the way that they live around Jesus, okay? And we are collectively dumbstruck that God has allowed us to be a part of something bigger than we could have ever imagined for ourselves. We can look and see what God has done 10 years from now, and nobody can say it's because they were talented or because they worked so hard or because they were just so tenacious. No, we will look back 10 years in the future and 10 years in the past, and we will say only God could have done that, and it will humble us and be reminded that it's not about us. It's about our willingness to obey God no matter where he calls. Now, What we expect to do is we want to do for others what Central Wesleyan has done for us, okay? Now, uh, some of you guys know this, some of you don't, but we are a plant from Central Wesleyan Church. We are a part of the Water's Edge Network. We say that we are a family of kingdom-minded, missionally generous churches, all right? So I don't know if you guys all know this. Uh, Central actually takes care of a number of administrative tasks, that free us up and free our resources up to invest in ministry. So, uh, our children's curriculum. Because we are a part of this network, we get that for free. Our check-in systems, they've set that up. 
uh, our entire uh, network, IT help, uh, design help, uh, um, different and various systems that we use for computers and uh, what's it called, like church database stuff. All that uh, Central takes care of. Our accounting, payroll, insurance. Those are a number that Central has been doing that for us since the time we were born, and they continue to do that for us so that we don't have to invest money into those systems. They already had those systems up and going. Friends, I want us to be able to do for others what Central has done for us. Do you know one of the reasons that we've been able to grow and invest the way that we have is because of Central's generosity. They funded us 100% for the first year and then like 60% for the second year and like 30%. For the third year, they also bought our building. Not only did they buy our building so that we could move into it when we had no place to go, they also said, hey, and more than half of this, we're just going to erase the debt. We're just going to give it to you as a gift. You only have to pay back like two-fifths of it. Crazy. Their generosity has shown itself time and time again. The systems that they already had in place, they could actually allow us to utilize And it frees up more time, more space, more resources to then invest in ministry. I want to be able to do that for others. Now, we also have said that we are going to pursue a simple model of ministry. All right? I'm not going to get into what all this means, but it simply means this. We can't do everything. Not even every good thing. It's not possible. So instead, we are pursuing a simple model to accomplish better, deeper, more sustainable ministry by focusing our efforts on a few important things, okay? You've heard me say this before, but I want to say it again. We are a church for anyone, but we are not a church for everyone. Now, that's not a knock. There's numerous wonderful churches here in Grand Rapids. We are a church for anyone, okay? Anybody's welcome here. But we're not a church for everyone. There's a reason that God needs an Ada, and a Calvary, and a Tabernacle, right? Uh, a Browns Hutchinson Ministries. There's a reason that God needs a St. Luke's. We're a part of that. So we say we're for anyone, but we are not for everyone. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about what that means in, in a bit. Um, this is a living vision. You guys need to understand that too. This is not a set thing where we just like go to God and God, God, what do you want for us? And then God tells us like, all right, cool. See you later, God. We'll take care of it from here. No, no, this is a living vision. Our desire is to say, God, where are you calling us? And we will continue to move towards that. As God reveals things, we're going to run hard after it. But God has permission anytime he wants to, to change his mind and shift us. Okay? Now, that's not God's normal MO, right? He doesn't usually like say, go really far this way. Now I'm going to take you the direct opposite way. But God has permission to do whatever God wants. And our desire is to actually follow him. So these are our best guesses, okay? So we pursue effectiveness over efficiency. All right? We want to be effective. We're not trying to be efficient. Uh, We we uh, go after risk over safety, trust over doubt, generosity over scarcity. I don't anticipate us ever being a mega church on a mega site. But here's the reality, friends. If we're going to do for others what Central has done for us, we're going to have to continue to grow. Um, if you are anything like my wife, she always says I have to pay her money anytime I mention her name in a service, so I'm going to owe her some money this afternoon. If you're anything like my wife, you, you might wish that our church was still like 100 people, like it was three years ago, right? 
Uh, Brenda's a people person. She loves interacting with folks. She loves knowing who she sees. She doesn't like it when there's somebody that comes in and she doesn't know them just because she loves to love on people and pray for them and care for them, right? And as our church grew, she's like, ah, like I hate it. I don't know everybody anymore. And I was like, yeah, I get that. I understand that. And there's probably a number of you that feel the same way. You're like, I love this place because I feel like, man, I get to really like know people. Look, I do want to say this. As our church grows, that will shift a little bit of the feel at times. However, however, a large church can feel small if you will do two things. Number one, you have to engage in a local group, a small group, a small community of people that they actually know you. I don't care if you're at a church of 50 or a church of 5,000. If you're not willing to invest your life, your time, your energy, open up your heart to let people see what's really going on, a church of 50 and a church of 5,000 will all feel the same. But if you invest your life in a small group of individuals and allow them to invest theirs and yours, it will feel like family. The second thing that makes a large church feel small is when you serve in it. My wife, again, dang it, more money, uh, she serves in a number of places, but she serves in our kids' ministry uh, with some regularity. And so um, she has fallen in love with some of the little kids from this church. And when you love the little kids of this church, you wind up getting to know and love their parents as well. People that are not in our small group that we'll probably never have that kind of depth of relationship with, but now they feel like family because she's serving their kids by loving on them and teaching them about Jesus and wants to see the family come around and do the same thing, right? If you're willing to engage in community and engage in serving this church, I promise you, no matter how big we ever, God ever wants us to be, this church will still feel small and like family. Now, these are our best guesses of what a preferred future would look like, all right? But we're less interested in accomplishing everything above than we are in following close to Jesus. This is the true adventure, obeying Jesus wherever he leads. So here's what I'm going to do, and now I'm going to talk about some things that you're not allowed to hold me accountable to, okay? But I want to start laying out some timelines of what this could potentially mean for us. I'm going to give you a one to three, what's, what probably is going to happen in the next one to three years. I'll give you one or two things for the next three to five years, and even something for the next five to ten years. However, this vision cannot simply be mine. It cannot be the staffs. It cannot only be the leadership team. It has to be something that we own together and that you start to ask God, God, what is it that you might be calling me to step into? So I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you space to ask God that very thing. Father God, we, as we move into this next little space, we just want to give you permission and access to our hearts and minds. God, what you want to say, we want to hear. It is our desire to obey you and follow you. You speak and we will listen. Holy Spirit, move. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, next one to three years. Here it is. Our local kids' ministry drives our passion to help the next generation fall in love with Jesus. Kids think that this is the best hour of their week and they beg their parents to take them back. That, friends, 
would be a game changer for our church. We have volunteers that are doing that. In fact, many of them are sitting in here right now because they were serving in the last hour. We have space to continue to evolve and grow and get better and better at this. And I can't wait to see what that can look like. You want to know the truth? If we're going to do this, though, our physical space is going to have to change. It's going to have to get better. I didn't share this with the first hour, um, and I, I don't even know who this person is. And I know they didn't want public recognition, so it's a good thing I have no idea who they are. Maybe they're going to be mad that I'm even saying this. We have somebody in our church that said, look, we need to do some better stuff with our rooms. Uh, we need to do some better, like we need to invest in our kids' ministry. And uh, they said, I'm going to write a check for $20,000. I don't care how you use it, just use it for that. Excuse me? That's crazy and amazing and awesome. And somebody who buys in, somebody who says, I believe in this vision. Somebody who says, I believe in our kids' ministry and what we need to do and how we're going to grab people and rescue and, 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 and how families are going to get changed, right? If a kid shows up and they think and love it, if they think this is the best hour of their entire week, I promise you, the parent's going to want to come back. Now, just simply changing our physical space, that's awesome, right? The space needs to be welcoming and safe, but most importantly, it needs to be, it has to be staffed by compelling volunteers, who understand that the reason that they're serving is actually because they're loving on a kid, right? They're making that the best hour of the entire week for that kid is actually driving our mission and our vision forward. They understand why they do what they do. So the question is, how can you help make this a reality? What skills do you possibly have that could help? What passions or gifts has God given you that you could share to make Sunday morning the best hour of a kid's entire week? Next thing, young leaders are beating down our doors to be a part of what God is doing here. Look, we're not going to be able to be a family of churches where we send out culture-creating leaders to help plant culture-creating churches in culture-creating cities unless we've got young leaders that feel believed in, that feel relationally invested in, trusted, and empowered. We're looking for folks who are humble and hungry and smart, but most of all, they love Jesus because they know that they are loved by Jesus. And so what I'm asking you to start doing is I would like our church to start praying for four to six young leaders who feel called to vocational ministry that God would put a little spark in their heart. They would say, I want to come and serve TLCs that I can learn and grow and see this vision and mission move forward. That's what I'm asking you to do. Another thing that we want to see in the next one to three years is that we're hearing stories of transformation in both big and small ways consistently, so consistently that we're actually, uh, baptisms become a monthly habit. That's what I want to see. So how can you help us capture transformation stories? You want to know the truth? We're not great at it right now. We're not. We know that. We're trying to get better. I'm going to share a little bit in a little while with you, but maybe that's an area you can help us. You know what else is beneficial? When you're so in love with Jesus and love what God's doing here that you just can't shut up talking about it, all right? So whatever the opposite of shut up is, that's what I'm telling you to do right now, okay? Three to five years. In three to five years, we see hundreds of new Jesus followers at TLC and the churches we've helped plant because we're so excited about what God was doing in our own lives that we just couldn't help but invite others to experience it as well. 
Now, you don't get to three to five years unless this is happening in one to three years too, friends, which means it's happening this month and this summer and maybe even this week. Who could you invite to TLC? I told a story in the first service, Austin's like, you just got to cut that story out. So I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, but basically it was the fact that uh, I like peppermint white mochas. And I'm so excited about our church that whenever I get a peppermint white mocha, a lot of times I can't help but tell the barista, do you go to church anywhere? And most of the time they're like, that's a really strange question when you're ordering a peppermint white mocha. And, but sometimes I have little invitation cards in my pocket and I'll pull one out and I'll be like, you should come to TLC. Look, y'all can do that too. That's all I'm saying. Y'all can do, I don't have to be the only freak ordering peppermint white mochas and then inviting people, baristas to church. Okay. You should do it too. Now, uh, also in three to five years, our first two churches are planted and we're supporting them so that they can grow towards maturity and multiplication. And we're planning for our third church plant. That one seems a little like out there. Okay. But again, if this is what God desires, then God's going to be up to something. God's going to make some stuff happen, okay? I can't promise you that I got a locked down, nailed down plan for this, but I do believe that God wants us to actually step out and take some risks, actually step out in faith when it seems like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense financially or whatever the case may be. God's going to say, step out and see if I don't meet you there. It's going to take some faith, friends, if we're going to plant two churches in the next five years. But I think God's calling us to step out and take some risks. In five to ten years, we have exceedingly talented people leaving lucrative careers to work in our family of churches because they would rather spend their lives on something that is transformative and compelling, challenging, and eternal. So here's my question. Is this you? Ten plus years. We have five churches that we've birthed. We've even got one or two that we've adopted, churches that have come to us and said, hey, yo, uh, we need help. Do you have leadership? Do you have people? Do you have uh, a vision and values that you could uh, basically come in and, and help us because uh, you're reaching the next generation and that's what we want to be about? Uh, any of y'all ever rehabbed a home? Oh, just like not very many of y'all. Okay. Uh, I have. It's hard. <laughs> you got to deal with everybody else's mistakes that came before you, right? That didn't actually measure twice and cut once, okay? It's hard, but you know what is awesome about taking something that had kind of fallen in disrepair and lovingly bring it back to life? Woo, that's pretty sweet, all right? I, most of the churches I've worked at, that's what I've done. I've built on somebody else's foundation. It's also pretty awesome, though, when God says, hey, uh, Let's build a blueprint together, and then you and I, we can go drop a foundation, build something up. That's what TLC is. That's pretty awesome, too. I don't know exactly what God wants for us, but I think I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we're going to do a little bit of that and maybe even a little bit of this. So that means we have to have eyes that are open. We've got to have faith that's willing to engage and say, God, that looks hard, but I'm in. I'm willing. I'm not afraid. So let me ask this question. What happens if we don't run hard after this vision. What happens if we don't do this? Let me tell you what I think happens. People in West Michigan stay marginally engaged in their faith or completely disengage and die assuming they are Christians and spend an eternity separated from God. 
We live in an area of the country where many people have some connection to church and Christianity. And so they assume that they are Christians because, well, I'm not Buddhist, therefore I must be Christian. And they grow their entire life thinking that that is true, when the truth is, is they have no real understanding of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. The only thing worse, in my opinion, of knowing that you're not a follower of Jesus is thinking you're a follower of Jesus when you're not. And friends, we have an opportunity to step into that. And if we don't do it, then there's a whole lot of folks that I think are going to stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, yeah, but I went to church sometimes. Yeah, I went to Christian school when I was in fourth and fifth grade. Yeah, my family's Christian. We have an opportunity to step into that. You know what else happens if we don't run after this? Young leaders who want to use their gifts to see God's kingdom grow can't find a place willing to nurture them. And so instead, they settle for a good-paying nine-to-five job while slowly getting sucked into the normal American script. You know what else happens if we don't run after this? Countless Leahs and Cody's, Natalie's and Lien's, Andrew's and Gael's and Drew's and Jaquan's never experience the love of Christ and go on to live disastrously wonderful American lives. And every single person that I just mentioned has either found Christ as a result of the ministry of TLC or has committed their lives in baptism here on that stage. If we don't run hard after this, nice Christian couples will continue to stagnate as they consume rather than engage. Families will stay the same, but worse. Neighborhoods and businesses and schools will experience less love, less joy, less peace as Jesus' church slowly melts away and all we can do is pray that God would send someone to do what we were not willing But if we roll up our sleeves and take a risk and sign on the dotted line for a trip on a vehicle that there are no passenger seats, we could be a part of Jesus' mission to transform this world. And friends, there's nothing that I want to be a part of more than that. I can't do it alone, the staff can't do it alone, the leadership can't do it alone. It requires all of us rolling up our sleeves and saying, I'll dive in with the gifts and the passions that God has given me in ways that maybe I can't even imagine. Some of you are gonna leave your really lucrative career in the next seven, eight years, and you're gonna come work for a lot less money to see this vision become reality. Some of you are going to move away to help some young punk leader plant a new gospel work that transforms people's lives for generations to come because you're saying yes to what God has for us. Let's pray. Father God, we... God, I don't want this to just be words that just flow out of my mouth. Father, I only want this to be something that is true in my heart. And God, I, I will acknowledge there are times when I just get good at saying the words because I know the words I'm supposed to say. God, forgive me for that. 
God, I want to own the vision that you have for us. I want to step into it, not because it's my job, but because I can't help but do anything else. And God, that is my heart's desire for all of us. Whatever passions and gifts and abilities you have given to us, God, it's not just for our own selves. It's so that we can see your mission expand your kingdom come in Grand Rapids, in America, all around the world as it is in heaven. And Jesus, that is our heart's desire. Would you help us? Amen.